Amen. Welcome to the Harbor Worship Center and welcome to 50 Days of Transformation. Welcome to our Transformed series. And so I'm believing God's going to touch you. And uh, uh, this weekend we're going to launch um, and start looking at seven key areas of our life. And it's going to come every week. We're going to visit a verse of Scripture, and it comes out of Romans 12. And I want us to look at it together. Romans 12 and 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can you say that with me? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So God don't want you to be a conformist. He wants you to transform, uh, and the only way you transform is by renewing yourself by the Word of God. So uh, you've heard this said many times, but I want you to follow me real close right here and hear what I'm saying. The way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel determines the way you act. If you want to change something in your life, you don't start with your actions. You don't even start with your feelings, but you start with your thoughts. For the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So if you're acting depressed, it's because you feel depressed, and you're feeling depressed because you're thinking depressed thoughts. So change the way you think. That is why when you go into a grocery store, they're not playing old sad, mealy-mouth music because they don't want you to get in a depressed state of mind. They want you to be ready to spend some money. And they understand that the, that the way you think uh, impresses the way you feel, and the way you feel has a lot to do with the way you act. So the key to transformation is not your action. Someone says, just stop doing that. Just stop hitting your sister. Or just stop robbing banks. Just stop smoking crack. And, and you, it's not a matter of just stopping doing something. is you've got to quit thinking about that. And you have to fill your mind with other things. See, the key to transformation is not in your behavior. It's not in your body. It doesn't even start with your will, but it starts with your thoughts. And if you can change the way you think, then you'll change the way you feel. If you change the way you feel, you'll change the way you act. So we're going to, it, we're going to look at this principle now, and it's going to, it's going to run throughout the whole next seven weeks um, and we're going to use that same thing right there. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are we going to renew our mind? We're going to ask God what he says about our spiritual health and how are we going to get closer to him. We're going to ask what he says about our physical health, our mental health, our, our emotional health, uh, our financial, our relational, and, and our vocational health. We're going to see what God's word, which is the highest authority anyway, we're going to see what God says about it. And we're going to fill our head and our hearts with what God's word says about it and quit thinking about it the way we think about it. And we start thinking about it the way God thinks about it. We'll start acting about it the way God wants us to act about it. In other words, we'll get in the right state of mind. We get in the right relationships. We get right financially. We get right mentally. Woo, that'd be a nice one. <laughs> So transformation, listen, changes us from emptiness to fullness. It changes us from defeat and failure and misery to victory. It changes us from insecurity and inferiority to courage and boldness. It helps us to become all that God wants us to be. So what I want to say is this. 
I need to make an observation. The further away from God you get, the more trouble there is in your life. (laughs) The further away from God you get, the more trials, the more difficulties, the more stress, the more things go wrong because you're not cooperating with your creator. You're not following God's plan for your life. And the Bible says the way of the unrighteous is rough. That's right. Huh? Uh, it's full of thorns. Uh, it's difficult. It's a rocky road. Now, listen, I'm not saying that the road to uh, heaven is a bed of roses either. I'm not saying just because you get saved, uh, that name it and claim it religion that says, man, it's all going to be smooth sailing once you ask Jesus into your heart. No, no. You're going to have trials too, but the difference is you've got God with you. you got somebody on your side. Listen, we can face everything through the scripture. Let me say this. When Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he was radically and eternally transformed on that day. Huh? He was a religious terrorist on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. And that day he was knocked off of his horse and he looked up and he saw a great light shine around him and he said immediately, Lord, What wilt thou have me to do? He recognized who had got him off the horse. Amen. Lord, what would you have me to do? And God says, Saul, Saul. That was his name, Saul of Tarsus. Why why do you kick against the pricks? He says, in other words, why do you keep doing other than what I'm asking you to do? I've called you to do something. And he was stricken with blindness. They led him by the hand into Damascus, and of course, uh, um, Ananias came and prayed for him. He received his sight. But what I'm saying, and he was radically transformed on the Damascus road. And then he wrote about a third of the Bible after he was transformed. Something happened in his life so much that he said, I count all that I have up to this point as loss and but dung. He said, I've given up everything that I had attained. He had the social status. He had the position. He had the power. He had all of the government officials on his side. He had everything. He said, but I count all of that for nothing. He said, oh, that I might find him, that I might be found in him and the power of his resurrection with the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, I'd rather be close to God than close to Caesar. I'd rather be close to God than have a great name uh, among the people. I'd rather be close to God. So how do we get closer to God? I'm gonna answer that question in just a moment. Did you know Isaiah, he was a depressed person, but when he met the Lord, he became a courageous person. Moses, he was transformed in his appearance. They had to put a veil over him because he was glowing with the presence of God. And did you know something? Uh, we all want to be close to God. If you didn't want to be close to God, you wouldn't be here unless you're coming with your girlfriend this morning. You just wanted some time with her. You know? Or your boyfriend. I know as some of them church dates how that goes, but uh, there's a lot of people got saved and sanctified and Holy Ghost filled and fire baptized and called to preach sitting beside somebody. All they came for was that girl. And God had other plans. But, but nonetheless, all of us want to get close to God. If you didn't, you would not be here today. But you, you see, I want you to understand something. It is, it, it is easy for you and I to drift. It is e- we don't even have to do nothing to drift. You and I live by tide waters. You ain't got to do nothing. Just get out there, and the tide will take you out. Or in. Depends on which way it's going. But it will move you right along. The Bible says in Isaiah, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us messed up. And you know what the second part of that verse is? 
And the Lord hath laid on him, who? Christ, the iniquity of us all. I need to move on. Did you know sheep are not really a bright animal? Sheep, they, they just do stupid things naturally, kind of like we. That's why the Lord, he, he talks about us as sheep. We just do some dumb things sometimes. Uh, you ever seen anybody do a dumb thing on a smartphone? <laughs> I, I've been there, yeah. But sheep are not that bright. They'll walk right into a den of wolves and die. They'll walk. Did you know why a shepherd's staff has a crook on the end of it? Because when a sheep is just about to go off the edge of a cliff, they'll reach over and grab it around his neck and pull him back. Hello? They're just naturally dumb animals to a great extent. I don't mean to call anybody dumb, and if I do, I'm right there with you, so don't be offended. But, the, but they get into all kind of difficult and dangerous situations, and all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We tend to wander off. And see, with God, you know, with us, if, we're not, if we don't keep the fire burning, if we don't stay close, we just sort of tend to wander off. And the sad part is we don't even realize we've wandered off. I talk to people who haven't been in church in six months and they act like they're here every Sunday. They don't even know how out of touch they are. There's a hundred more people that's here. They don't even know their name. They come back and say, wow, pastor. And they think they've only been gone three weeks. But it was last Easter. So, uh, you see, how do you, I, today I want to talk to some people, I want to talk to people that have um, somehow wandered. You've slipped back. And then there are those who've been a long time away from God. And you, you don't even feel like you're close. And then there's some that knew him, you know, recently. Maybe last month you felt like you was on fire, but now something's gone wrong. I don't know, something's gone haywire. Pastor, how do I get back to God? So today I want to talk about how we get back there. It's almost like some of you say, man, it's like the air just went out of my balloon, man. I just don't have no uh, connection anymore. Um, I, I, I just feel like I'm, you know, you know what the Bible says? Our sin has separated us from God. Are you with me? That's why, how is it sometimes we pray and it seems like heaven's brass? Now, now let me read a story to you real quick. And this, this is the prodigal son. And it's a very popular story, but I've got to draw about four points out of it. So I'm going to read the story kind of quick uh, and just move on. But you can follow me on the screen. Jesus told this story. He says this, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, he, he said, uh, uh, give me, Give me the share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father divided him his wealth among his sons. And a few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings. He left home and he went to a distant land. See, he's already getting away from the father. He goes into this distant land and there he spends his money. He squanders his money and all that he has. He wasted on wild parties, reckless living, wild women, whatever it is. And about that time, he runs out of money. A severe famine hits the land, and he begins to starve, and he's left with nothing. Now he's getting hungry, and the only thing he can do is try to find a job, and the only job available is to feed pigs. Now, that's a horrible job for a Jew because they're not even supposed to think about pork, let alone feed them. So he became so desperate that even uh, the pig slop that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. It's amazing how deep you'll go and how bad you will digress once you get away from God and start wandering off. Who would ever think of eating pig slop? But that's how you'll go. Once you've gotten away, you're a long way from the Father. And so he said, I, you know, uh, this even looks good here. And he would have ate that, but they would require that. That's crazy. 
And then he all of a sudden, he had that V8 moment, and he came to himself. And he said, how many of my, you know, how many hired servants does daddy have? I mean, and even the lowest paid servant gets to eat at his table. They got a barn to sleep in, or, or they got a cottage. They've got something. They got shoes. They got clothes. They're out of a storm, and, and I'm feeding pigs, and I ain't even got money to eat some of the slop that the pigs eat. Look how far I've gone from the Father. So how do I get closer? How do I go back? And you know, I'm dying of hunger, and he says, I'm going to return to my Father. I want you to know something. Did you understand what happened there? It happened right here in his mind. Now, it took him getting in a pig pen. It took him with all of his money being gone, all of his friends being gone, to get to that point where he decided that I'm going to go back. But he thought it right here, and he said, you know what, I'm going to go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against you and God. I'm not even worthy to be part of this family anymore or to be called your son. But, but if you could just please make me just like one of your servants. He said, I don't have to come home and be a son. I'll come home and you hire me. I'll be a servant. Make me one of these servants who works with you. And with that attitude, he headed back to his father. But while the son was a long distance away, he hadn't even got all the way home. His father saw him coming and filled with love and filled with compassion. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him and said, what's this? Father's already got his, you know, the, the son's already got his speech prepared, but the father doesn't want to hear it. You know, he says, Father, I've sinned against you and God, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring me the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get the signet ring for his finger and shoes. I learned something else about that signet ring I'll tell you in just a moment. Then roast that calf that we've been fattening up. We're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking for the child of mine was distant and dead. But now he's back and he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. So the party began. Now, I know that's a little different. That's kind of the message, the interpretation of it. But that is the gist of what happened there. I want you to get this. You've got to love that story. It's an incredible story because it's a story that we can relate to because we've all wandered away from God. We've all wasted what God gave us. We've all had a V8 moment where we come to ourselves and said, what in the world am I thinking? And we've all been ashamed to go back and try to fix it. But that's where it all starts is when you finally get to that place. Listen, I want you to understand uh, uh, if you're not careful, we can live a very self-centered life. Like this boy when he left. Give me what's mine. I want what's mine. Uh, give me, give me, give me, and mine, and give it now, and, and yada, yada, yada. And he takes off. His money and his time and his energy and all of that is on gone, wasted on wine and women and riotous living. And, and, and now we come to this place where he had a V8 moment, I call it. Let, let me share with you, I want to give you four keys, if I may, to getting closer to God. The first one is this. <clears throat> the first key is you got to get fed up with life. Let me say this. To get fed up with life right now. Some of you have been in a situation and, and man, you're fed up. You, you, you get off work on Friday and you party till Monday. Or maybe Saturday night and try to make church Sunday and fool everybody. But what I'm saying is, is you're fed up with it because it ain't working. 
Maybe you've tried the bottle to ease the pain of whatever relationship or financial hardship or relationship or whatever, but that's not working. You've got to get fed up with life, fed up with circumstances, fed up with the way I'm living, tired of being sick and tired, and fed up with, listen, you will not do anything as long as you're tolerant of the way things are. Hello? You know why Sean got a haircut last night? He got tired of looking at that nappy head. Love you, brother. He got fed up with it. That's what he told me in the green room. I just had to take it on down. I got fed up with the way it was. And you won't change the way your life is until you get fed up and sick and tired of how it is. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired of how things is, the same old, same old mundane failure after failure after failure, finally one day you'll say, I'm gonna do something about this. I'm going to do something about it and that's the place you, listen, some of you ain't there yet. Don't worry, it's gonna get harder. Don't worry, God's gonna send another storm. He'll let it get to the point where you are so sick and tired of life, you're gonna do something. Listen, here's Mike Sane's definition. You can take it or leave it. But my definition of vision is this. The dissatisfaction with what is. You know why we built this new facility? Because for 18 years, we were dissatisfied with what we had. We had already filled it up. It was antiquated. We needed something new to minister in. We needed something update. We needed something modern. And we got fed up and sick and tired of having to patch and this and that and the other. And finally, we said, you know what? We're fed up enough. We're going to put up and do something about it. And we did. And you won't do anything until you're fine. I mean, until you're intolerant about the way things are. You got to say, you know what? I can't keep going like this. I can't keep going another day like this. But if you get to that point and you say, I don't like this, not liking it's one thing, doing something about it's another. You got to get desperate. You got to get desperate. He wasted everything. He had nothing. He's hungry. And let me say this. If I hold your head up under some water for just a moment and then pull you back up, you know, it's not too bad because you can hold your breath for, you know, maybe a minute, minute and a half or whatever. If I hold you down a little bit more, longer, you know, and, and the next thing you know, your arms are going to start flailing around. You know why? Because you need air. And at first, all I could hear was a little, mm, mm, mm. you know, what you're saying is you're trying to say, let me up, Pastor. But if I don't do that pretty soon, you're going to start flailing your arms and kicking your legs and just like a bronchian bull. Are y'all with me? Say amen. I mean, you're fixing to make something happen if you like me anyway. You know why? Because you're desperate. Because you're about to die. Because you have no air. And when you get so fed up with life the way it is because you're about to die, you're fed up with life, guess what? You're in the right place to start getting closer to God. You know why? Because you can't take credit for it. Lord have mercy. I got to go on. So, uh, so some of you, listen, God, um, he'll knock on the door and then he'll knock on the door and then he'll knock on the door and then Finally, for some of you, he'll just blow it down. And then you get desperate. The first step in transformation is get so disgusted that you're so discontent that you're, you're fed up with it. Listen, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you'll find me when you get serious about finding me and you want it more than anything else. Second point I gotta make, second key 
to, to getting closer to God is you got to own up to my sin. Ooh, I, I, I got to hurry, but I want to tell you a story about Jacob. You remember Jacob? His name was liar, deceiver, supplanter. Um, he stole a birthright. He lied to his father. He'd done all this stuff. He'd done horrible, terrible things. And he, was, he ran and he's gone 20 years after his daddy dies. And then he's on his way back to his house. His brother Esau said, I'm going to kill you. as last thing. Laban is after him now because he's left with his daughters and grandchildren. So now he's got his brother and his, his, or he thinks he's coming to kill him and his uncle coming to kill him, or at least he thinks. He got desperate when he got to a place called Penuel. And there he laid his head down and he called out to God and he wrestled with an angel to the breaking of day. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. In other words, I'm so desperate, you can't leave here, God, until you fix my life. And so then the angel said, well, tell me what your name is. And oh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. Jacob means I'm a liar. That's my name. I've lived up to it. I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. And you got to own up to it. I've seen so many people, they got fed up. They wouldn't ever own up to nothing. Had never been wrong about nothing. Woo, that'll preach. People will get quiet, but that'll preach. Never been wrong about nothing. Amen. They was always right. Let me tell you this. When you get to the place where you're fed up and then you get ready to own up, that's what, man, that's a big place right there. When you can own up and say, it was me. It was me. I am the one that was wrong. Yes, they had some part, but we ain't talking about their part. We're talking about your part. It was me, oh God. I was wrong. I have sinned against God and against you, daddy. That's what the prodigal said. He come home and he owned it. He said, you know what, it was wrong of me. I've wasted half of the money you saved all your life. My brother's got the other half. Mine's gone. I've ruined that. I've wasted, I've wasted your name and your reputation. I have done that. And I'm begging you not, not to make me a son. I don't have to be called by your name, but just hire me for minimum wage. It'll be all right with me. That'll be a whole lot better than I am now. I'm fed up with the way I'm living. I own up to where I'm at. Lord, have mercy. You gotta own it up. It is our sins that have separated us between God. Listen, um, I, I, I'm telling you, if you are far from God, guess who moved? It is not God. If you're far from God, guess who moved? Listen, anything that you love more than God becomes an idol to you. It could be cards, it could be success, it could be money, fame, or fortune, or whatever. But whatever it is that's taking the place of God, you gotta get that out of the way. Hello? So get fed up with life, and then you got to own up. The fact is, you're as close to God as you want to be. <clears throat> oh, Pastor, I want to do great things for God. Never come to church, never go to life group. Never read the Bible. You don't want to do nothing great for God. You want to talk about doing things great for God. You can't do anything great for God without sacrifice. That's tough, and I know it, but so I own up to it. We're as close to God as we want to be. You, you see, did you know what it means to, to blame others? There's people that blame the church because of their lack of spirituality. To blame means to be lame. Be lame. It's pretty lame of me to blame somebody else for how far I am from God. It's lame of me to say it was my mama's fault or my daddy's fault. It's lame of me to say it's you or you or you. No, it's on me. I'm as close to God as I want to be. Listen, the fact is that we haven't been desperate. 
You see, we, we, we can be as close as we want to be. Here's what David said. There was a time when David was very, very close to God, and David messed up. He looked across one day, and there's beautiful bathing Bathsheba. And, man, I don't have time to tell you the story, but he got with her. She got with child. And, and, and man, it was, a, it was a bad thing. He had her husband killed on the battlefield. And, and man, they got all this going together, and, and lo and behold, a prophet came to his house one day and told him this, real, this story about a man who came to town and had plenty of sheep. He could, have, he could have done anything, but he took one man's little lamb. That's it. That's all this one man had was one. And he took his and he slaughtered it. And he said, you know what, David? You're the man. You could have had any woman in the world. You could have had any woman in Jerusalem. But all, all Uriah had was this one girl, one Bathsheba. That's all. And you took her. You are the man. And you know what David did? David did what we ought to do. David owned it. David owned it. He said, you know what, I, I am the man. He had already pronounced what sentence would be. It was horrible. He said, you know what, he, he didn't point to somebody else. He wrote Psalm 51. I wish I had time to tell you, but I'll just give you a snippet. He said, be merciful unto me, O God, because of your constant love, because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all of my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults and I am conscious that I have sinned. So he owned the fact, and I'm going to tell you something. You say, well, he don't know about my sin. I'm going to tell you something. There's something in the Bible that will wash away every stain. And it's not oxyclean. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ that will wash away every stain. See, if you want, this week in Life Group, we're going to be talking about um, developing seven habits for growth. It's going to start tonight. I know some Life Groups are kicking tonight. Seven habits of growth. Pastor Rick's going to be talking about that. That's a wonderful gold nugget that you'll never get here. Those things are going to happen in life group, but you need to hear that. I want to give you two more. Here's a habit you need to do, a, a spiritual checkup. A spiritual checkup. In other words, you know, you go to the doctor, you check your blood, your sugar, and this and that and the other. Find out where you are spiritually. You, do, you need to do that every other month or so just so that you don't look around and say, well, hey, man, I'm a member of the harbor and realize that was back in 1988. Time has come and gone. Are you with me? These, these areas that, that you need to do that checkup. And, uh, uh, and then there's another time. The Bible says when we get ready to, um, to take the Lord's Supper that we are to examine ourselves and see if we are in the faith. So every time we take the Lord's Supper, we look introspect. We look at ourselves and say, Lord, am I really who I say I am? Am I, am I really there? So I said that you need to, um, first of all, you got to get to that place where you're fed up with life as it is. Then you have to own up. And now there's something else. And this is where it gets a little muddy for some people. you got to offer up. Oh, we've already received the offering. Quit worrying. I'm not talking. It, it is your money, but it's, not, it's a whole lot more than your money. To offer up means I offer up my life. I offer up myself. I offer up my service. I offer up my total being to him. It's extremely important. Don't, don't underestimate this point. It's not enough to get fed up. It's not enough to own up. If you don't offer up, I'll, I'll tell you something. Here's what I know in a church. 90 to 120 days a pastor has to get people busy in kingdom work or for the most part, they will mosey on. It is lame and dysfunctional for us to think that we will grow to a thousand people with just bystanders that come every Sunday to watch me perform. 
and to watch this wonderful, awesome praise team sing, and they've done such a beautiful job. And all. But you know what? We have the good news. That is gospel. We have the good news. And it is incumbent upon every last one of us in these pews or, or these chairs, thank you, Lord, in these chairs to do something about it, to serve the Lord in some capacity somewhere. Wow. So let, let me move on. We have to offer up. I have to. You know what? Notice what the prodigal did. When he left, he said, give me, give me, give me. Give me my share. He was self-centered, but when he got home, he just said, make me, make me, make me. He didn't want to be made do anything before. He didn't want to be made do anything. He, he make me now one of your hired servants. Make me now one of your hired. I just want to be a servant. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Praise team's going to come back. And uh, I've shared with you that here's what we have to do. If you want to get closer to God, <clears throat> you hear me now, there's only four things. We're almost there. First of all, you've got to get fed up with the way your life is right now. Fed up with it. Secondly, you've got to own up to your part of it. It's not your daddy's fault. It's not your mama's fault. Now, you say, well, Pastor, you don't know. I was raised in a home of an alcoholic. I was raised, you know, by this or that or the other. I understand that. But at some point, at some point, it's on you. That's right. Don't we say that about presidents? At some point, we say, Mr. Bush, Mr. Obama, Mr. Trump, whoever it is, we say, at some point, it's your baby. That's how it is. You know, when I first got to Kingsland, there wasn't but a handful of people. And, and, and I could live on the fact that, man, this thing's been dysfunctional for quite a while. But after I done been here a couple years, I can't be talking about what yesteryear and the year before that. I got to look at myself and say, okay, what have you done about it since you've been here? So you got to get fed up with life. You got to own up to your sin. Then you got to offer up yourself. And oh, let me just say, no, no transformation is going to take place until you offer up yourself. You know why? Offering up yourself is saying, God, I'm willing to be a part of this transformation. I'm willing to be a part of it. And then the last thing you've got to do, you've um, got fed up, you've owned up, you're offering yourself up. Some of you already done it. You've already signed up. You're saying, you know what, Pastor? I'm going to serve in some capacity. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to offer myself up. Last thing you got to do is you got to lift up. You know what they did? Oh, I always had time. If y'all will stay for the second service, I'll guarantee I'll preach the rest of this. They had a party when he got home. When that boy come home, the big brother got aggravated. But Daddy, Daddy ran out there and he saw him one day. And man, look, there come. I believe that. Whoever that is, they walk kind of like my boy. He's out there looking every day, I think. And sure enough, he's, it is him. I believe it is. And this old man found the strength. I don't know if he had a cane, but if he did, he probably dropped it or wobbled along with it. But he got there and he seen it was him. Tears streaming down his face. He embraced him. The boy said, Daddy, I'm sorry. Father, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I left here saying, give me. And he's like, shh, shh, shh. shut your mouth, son. No, Dad, I, I threw away everything. I just want to be a servant. Shh, shh. And by that time, the big brother comes along, he's, or another servant comes, he says, go home and get that fatted calf and get that robe. Listen, some of you thinking that God's ready to just spank you and hurt you and abuse you 
And that daddy said, go home and get that robe that I've got set aside. Go home and get those shoes. Oh, watch this. I learned this this week. Go home and get my signet ring. Did you know what the signet ring went? Not only did it mean you was part of the family, you know what they did at the grocery store and on, on farms? That's right. They would dip that signet ring into wax, and it was like the modern-day American Express. I know, son, that you've blown everything that I worked all my life. Get me that family ring again. And he put it right back on his hand. I want you to stand with me now, and I'm going to ask this praise team, and this is how we're going to do the next eight or ten minutes. They're going to lead us in some worship right now. And listen, here, if you're, if you're here and you want to come, you're welcome to and say, I'm fed up, Pastor. I'm owning up. I'm offering up. And I'm lifting up. These altars are open. Sing it for me. Thank you for the cross.